Welcome to Take Your Time with Chiara, a podcast dedicated to the transformative journey of healing through grief. Today, we have the honor of sitting down with the remarkable Thea Monier, an accomplished self-identified Black woman creative. Thea Monier is definitely a powerhouse in the field of well-being and decolonization as a world-renowned speaker, author, and Oye priestess in the Ifa tradition. She is deeply committed to creating healing opportunities and engaging in soul alignment work for individuals and communities. Her mission is to decolonize joy, mental health, and pleasure and guide us all towards liberation and holistic well-being. Thea, mm-hmm. uh, that. thank good. you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm excited too. And my smile is like <laughs> 10 miles wide. And I am a person that is like really big on giving people their flowers. And so I don't feel like I can really start this conversation without... Um, Telling the people's like <laughs> who you are to me and how you have impacted me, even oh. when you did not know I existed. Because <laughs> I have first seen your face mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Deaf Poetry Jam. Mm-hmm. And even though, you know, there are so many talented people, you just sparked in my mind like, oh, this is a thing that maybe I can do this thing. Mm -hmm. And so you specifically Mm -hmm. hold this like place in my heart. Mm -hmm. And so I went on to do spoken word. and Yes, yes. Yes. We did verses of flow. And that was like a full (laughs) circle moment because uh, I don't think you know like how excited I was to call people like, y'all, I just shared the stage with Thea (laughs) Mogay. Like that was the highlight of the reunion show for me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And you are such a warm and inviting person. I am a naturally introverted person. So Mm -hmm. when we are in settings like being at the versus reunion, Mm -hmm. I'm like on the corner (laughs) type of person. And I'm just trying to be a fly on the wall and soak up your wisdom. And uh, we were in like the back lounge area. I don't even know if you Wasn't Roya there? Yes, Roya was was there. there. Yes. I'm just trying to sit there and be, you know, a student of all this wisdom. And you're turning, you like, and what do you have to say, Shiara? (laughs) (laughs) Nobody left behind. No one left Mm -hmm. behind. And then Mm -hmm. to fast forward a bit, you are really good friends with one of my really really good good friends, friends, Ebony Janice. Mm -hmm. And so we were at a birth at her birthday party, Mm -hmm. and I. Shyly whispered to you, I have a project that I have going on. I would love to share it with you. You're like, yeah, send it or whatever. And you left me this so beautiful. beautiful voice uh, message that just really is a part of the catalyst of this being a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because what you explained to me is that it was healing and mm-hmm. um it just created conversation and I mm. felt like it would be irresponsible mm. to share the peace and not create also a space for people to have dialogue. Mm-hmm. So, I love that. 
from Deaf Portrait Jam yes. all the way to the from the screen to the podcast. Yes, you are all the things. I'm oh. so grateful that you even take the time to just pour into others, but pour into me and to share this uh, space with me today. So thank you, oh, thank you, thank it's you. It's such so a deep much. honor to be like one of your first guests too. You know, I you know somebody had to tell me that I'm a first season poet. I didn't know what that meant. They was like, if there's a first season of a show, you going to be on. I said, oh, well, shit. So now I feel like that's a um, first season podcast guest, too, because I get to be <laughs> in your first set of folks on this. Um, what it's going to be, mark my words, um, this is this is really going to be a big deal. Um, that's why I want you to stick it out, because there, this powerful... Um, untapped resource of grief mm -hmm. is is really going to be pivotal for us over the next cycle of what we are as human beings is learning how to allow death loss grief to be a catalyst for change reformation rebirth transformation and so I love that you're opening this space. I love that you said yes. I love that you're trusting it. And, you know, even your little perfectionism, I love it because, you know, your your Instagram feed be looking so cute. I'm like, look how detailed. Y'all, I barely take the crust out of my eyes sometimes before I put these videos up for y'all. And yours are like so perfectly manicured and beautiful. And I just love it. I love it because I could tell you're having fun. I could tell you are intentional. And, you know, it's going to stand the test of time. Thank you. I so appreciate it. Mm -hmm. um, I figure if I use these skills to help other folk, I yes. should translate them and mm -hmm. use them for, <laughs> for this particular season of my life. Mm -hmm. um, so usually I just dive right in. Uh, I hope that's okay with you. You know, I, that's what I prefer. <laughs> So I know that um, a great deal of your work has been around decolonization of mm -hmm. uh, joy and pleasure. And so how do you feel like the process of healing and um, creating space for ourselves like coexists with that decolonization of those two areas? You mean like specifically around like creating space for ourselves with mm -hmm. when it comes to grief and loss? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, one can exist without the other. That's first. Right. So decolonizing it reminds us that it's not either or it's it's both and and that these aren't enemies or opposites that they're actually polarities they measure the same thing right you know loss and gain or you know death and life are metrics of something they're measuring something the thing that they're measuring is you know vitality or it's measuring awareness these different things and it's just giving us different language for that for the presence of it or the absence of it or somewhere in between, which is where most of us exist, right? Because even, even before, to say that we're alive is more than just breathing. To say that we're dead is more than just not breathing, right? To <laughs> We can be dead and breathing. We could be alive and not breathing, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really allowing it to be nuanced by taking it out of a colonial space of either or, either we're dead or alive, either, you know, death is the opposite of, of life, right? So the reason that intersects so much with joy and pleasure is because grief and the grieving process is what allows for the excavation, the reflection, the shedding that makes space for 
the next round of expansive joy and pleasure. So we cannot go into new levels and evolve into new levels of being, of aliveness, of um, joy, of pleasure, of awareness without the process of loss because that triggers this deeply reflective, deeply um, sometimes analytical, but really this deep surrender where one, we're tested on our levels of attachment, right? Are we only attached to things in one form, beings in one form, love in one form? And if we are, and then we suffer loss, then it opens up the opportunity to experience these beings, these loves, these things in new forms. But we would only challenge ourselves to do that through loss, <laughs> right? Which makes space for us to expand our definition of relationship, expand our definition of love, expand our definition of joy and pleasure, right? But that can only happen with this process or else we would just achieve a certain level of joy and be like, all right, we did that, right? But that's mm -hmm. not life. Life is constant evolution and creation and grief is essential to life. Oh, wow. You're such a poet and so like <laughs> eloquent in your explanation of things. I wonder how do we navigate though through societal expectations and the external pressure to just move on or mm -hmm. get over our grief and while we're still trying to honor our own pace and our own needs. You know, we don't. You know, we we resist the we resist the um we resist the, that that pressure and we embody what it feels what it looks like to grieve in the way that we would naturally and spiritually do so it's like you know it's a bit of a little bit of a revolution it's a little bit of activism work actually in our grief work to choose to stay in my grief until i am not despite what everybody else is telling me is a little bit of warrior energy, right? And we may not have that energy actively while we're going through that process, but it doesn't have to look like full-blown fighting. It just has to look like not doing. It just has to look like surrendering. It just has to look like, well, I'm not done crying. I mean, it can, it can happen so softly in a one-word sentence. No, I'm not done. Mm -hmm. And and also, I think... Um, which can be hard again. This all this is going to be hard. Let's just be clear from the top. Like there's nothing about this part of the process that is easy. It is one of the most grueling um aspects of humanity is to traverse grief and loss, right? Mm -hmm. Um so nothing I say about it will be easy, but all of it will be expansive. Yeah. If, right? So all of it will expand you. And so and birth new things and birth new things in you, birth new things through you, all of that. So when you think about birth in that way, you know, it isn't an easeful thing. <laughs> it isn't something that we look at and be like, oh, yeah, I, I want to do that. Yeah. But it's a necessary part of what's coming next. And so part of what's happening in that space is just just saying, no, I'm not done is an act of revolution that in many ways forces the other people involved to pause and consider the way they are trying to colonize your process. Yeah. Right. Like, and also think about 
why are they rushing you? <laughs> is it because they're uncomfortable? We are as a society because we do not prepare for this outside of, you know, financial logistics of setting up a will, but we don't have an actual process and we don't have deep ritual around what it, what death looks like, what it means. We're not, we don't, we don't, you know, forge our own food. We don't kill our own. So we're not in relationship watching life, death, rebirth happen all around us in nature anymore. We're not in relationship with it. So most people who are trying to rush us through the process are doing so because it makes them uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Then how do we hold both our right to feel what we feel while understanding that you're just ill-prepared? And I was too. You know, I am too. We're both sitting here ill-prepared for something that is as natural as the sun rising. And yet nobody got us ready for this. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's a place of like deep compassion for all involved. But the first round of that compassion goes to you and your right to say, no, I, I don't want to pull it together. Yeah. Um, and that is a very, I just want to give credit to the fact that that is a very revolutionary thing. And it is enough. It is more than enough. You don't have to say anything more than that sentence. Yeah, it is. Uh, for me, I learned about giving myself permission to mm -hmm. not be okay. Mm -hmm. Because when everyone around you, from the beginning of the process till even now, the words be strong. Mm -hmm. I'm breathing. Is that, right. <laughs> is, right. is that not strong more? enough? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what more is required? So it was after hearing that repeatedly, I was like, mm -mm. something mm -hmm. has to be different about this. Yes. Process. And Ooh. also surrounding myself around people who agreed that mm -hmm. yes if you want to come undone come yeah. all the way undone and i can't imagine what or how i would feel if all of the times that i allowed myself to wail out loud yeah. allowed myself to you know curl up and cry had mm -hmm. i not done that for myself mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. what type of probably physical ailments would I have now? What, you oh, know, yeah. type of no, mental 100%. would I have? Absolutely. And I've like not released any of those things in the way that I felt necessary to do it in that moment. Absolutely. And what you, by doing that, what you gave yourself permission to do is return to your true natural state, not your colonized state, which is to know that both grief and joy can exist in your body at the same time. They're doing it right now. You are doing an entire podcast around grief as you grieve, and they're not at war with each other. They're coexisting. And that's the, that's the natural state. That's what's actually true for us all the time. But we can't, what happens is when we're grieving, we feel like we can't feel joy. When we're joyful, we feel like we can't feel grief. And it's this, again, this this colonized idea of how these energies um, actually move around each other. They, they do not move as enemies or opposites. And I love, I would say particularly for, you know, women of color, Black women, I still struggle with, with coming undone. I live in a house mm -hmm. with four people. And so there are things, there are even, you know, there are things that are, are, some are people, but some are not people-oriented forms of grief that I don't always feel like I have the space, time, or energy to fall apart around. And I know if I allowed myself that, one, um, the process would, I would move with it, not as opposed to being a, my own deterrent. I would be able yeah. to flow because grief is a flow. It has a flow to it. It's not a straight line, but it does have a flow. And you allow yourself to be a part of that. But 
it is often the people around us who are the biggest hindrance to that or our own internalized idea of what it means to be, you know, in the way or a burden or undone. Um, being a hot mess is such a gift, mm -hmm. but it can also feel like a privilege. It could also feel like that's that's for people who have the money to do that, the time to do that, you know, whatever. But it's it's not. It's required. You know, like there was part of ritual grief is a, is the hollering, you know, mm -hmm. is the and not just at the services, you know, not just at the services, but like long after whenever yeah. it hits you in the middle mm -hmm. of a bank, you know, in the middle of a, your kitchen, like whenever that whale, we don't know where that comes from. We don't know what's trying to be born through that whale. We, we don't. And mm -hmm. holding it back, you're right, causes so much harm to the body and the psyche. But this is why we decolonize mental health too, because being given messages like be strong through your grief is how we end up with mental health issues that, that we got to pay somebody X amount of dollars per hour to get us out of. If only we had a society that was supportive of our grief to begin with, would right. we even need those services? Right. I, I often talk about <laughs> how I was once in a meeting and this was like shortly after my mom transitioned and we were, it just seems like everybody just turned into talking heads and it was just like, blah, blah, blah. And I literally wanted to stand up on that table and be like, do y'all know what has happened to me? Mm -hmm. And I feel like if I feel mm -hmm. like this, how many people in this room that mm -hmm. I'm sitting with are pretending that mm -hmm. everything is okay mm -hmm. and that you know you don't have you know it's not up to your you're not up to your you know eyeballs in mm -hmm. grief mm -hmm. and i you know i it, it also makes me think about i've labeled myself previously as a overshare right mm -hmm. but as I learn more about myself and I share about my experiences, as I openly talk about having anxiety, or mm -hmm. I often uh, openly talk about my experience with grief, those conversations end up someone else is being released of mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. they've been holding on. Mm -hmm. And it's a, oh, me too. I've experienced mm -hmm. this too, or mm -hmm. I'm experiencing experiencing this too so it makes me think how much of labels like yes sharing etc yeah. really hinder us from yeah. connecting with each other because we feel like we have to keep things so bottled in not allowing people to see your real emotions yeah um or being you know in your authentic state at that time yeah it, that's all 100 accurate you know even even anxiety right like i the labels don't don't um, effectively excavate, explore, and investigate mm -hmm. what is happening. They just give it a name. But why are we? Why are we anxious? What do we feel uncertain about? What is making us feel unsafe? Nothing in that label tells me that data, and I need that data if I'm going to partner with you or support you in not feeling that way. It's not a permanent state of being. It is a it is a it is an experience. I am experiencing anxiety. But that begs the question, why and yeah. where from? And like, oh, do you do you know? I always tell um the people I work with that anxiety and depression are cousins. Mm -hmm. 
And the, where one goes, the other one goes. We just got to figure out who's the big cousin and who's leading the pack. But also that they're here to drop off some data that we refuse to receive. And so with depression, it's usually dropping off data that we are like self-blaming. Um, it's a it's a control mechanism. It's it's part of us trying to believe we are responsible for something that we're probably not responsible for, but in in order to control it, in order to give it some um, definition, you know, we will self blame and not forgive. We will hold it, and in that holding comes depression, which is a reminder of you need to release yourself from some idea, some story, some some burden, some blame, some label that you've, some myth you've created for yourself. and Or you're just going to feel this way. We're just going to keep harassing you with sleepless nights and we're going to keep harassing you with, you know, no motivation until you recognize that it's not, a, this is not about you. This is not you. This is not yours. Mm -hmm. With anxiety, the moment I feel it, I know I have encountered someone else's definition of of me or something about me or something I'm encountering. Anxiety is like, what have you internalized that is other? But I came to those conclusions by asking deeper questions, right? Like we do the same thing with, with grief because grief is complex. It's a landscape. It's a planet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a planet right? You don't know what this soil is like, what this water is like, what these, what kind of life is here, what kind of, what can survive here. Grief is another orbit. It's another frequency. And so you come into it like a baby, like a new child who knows nothing about nothing. this, particularly mm -hmm. because even if your society has prepared you for it, they also should be wise enough to know that everyone's grief is going to look different. That planet, it consists of previous memories, experiences, other myths and stories that are unique to the individual. Permission to not know, permission to be a baby in these experiences and to not just gloss over them with a quick label allows us to sit in the depth of them without the fear of us dying too, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because the fear is if I let go to this thing, I won't, how, how will I get out of it? Of course. Like if I surrender, this is the other thing that, this is the thing people fear on our behalf. If they go too far in, you know, will they come out the other side? But that is, that is what it is. That's the journey. That's the initiation. Everything has to get to that point to ask itself, do I want to continue on? Do I, mm -hmm. why would I continue on? What is this all for? What is that? What is behind this? What does this new soil do? How, what does it grow? And then the curiosity is what saves us at some point, you know, those whys and those, <laughs> you know, at a certain point it hits us and it saves us, but we got to get there and people have to let us get there in our own time because mm -hmm. no one can traverse that planet for us. They can just, you know, watch support witness and remind us that we're breathing, remind us that we're here and remind us that, you know, that this is a part, this is a natural thing that you're experiencing. It's not, it's not something we can define, but it's something that we know for a fact is a natural thing 
that is a part of being a human being. You're not, you're not crazy. You're not abnormal. You are going through a very natural thing in a very unique way. Yeah. And that's different. Yeah. And that's, it's the, for after, on year three, mm-hmm. I was at the, am I going crazy? Right. Part, right. 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 Because there are so many things that I didn't know that were happening to my mm. mental space that mm. were happening around me. Like I, my short-term memory mm-hmm. was like trash. Shot. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until, uh, I don't know if you know anything about Atlanta, but I worked on Memorial Drive, which is not mm. like the <laughs> So one day I left my keys in my, like I went back to the car to get something. I left my keys in the door for eight hours mm. on Memorial. I was first of all, look at God, because this car mm-hmm, was about to say, God, it's supposed to be gone. <laughs> but it was just the fact that I was doing things like that so often. Like I was leaving my keys in my door to my apartment so mm. often that my next door neighbor, shout out to Taco, wherever you are, mm-hmm. would just take my keys and put them on my um, TV yes. stand. Yeah. So it's like, am I going crazy? What right. is wrong with me? Right. But then the more you know, and the more you understand, like, oh, this is a part of what I've this experienced is it. because is it. of the grief that I am trying to press down and just keep yes. going forward. Yes. And it's little things like that. And that's why I do think it's so important for us to have these conversations. Yeah. Because I don't want no one to think like I'm just going that's it. You know, being a crazy person about something that happened three years ago. No, yeah. still, you're still experiencing, you're still going through and you still have to be patient and kind and give yourself the grace that you need during these times. Every time it shows up, I mm-hmm. have clients, it's been 20 years. It doesn't matter. It Every time it shows up, honor it. Mm-hmm. Every time it shows up, trust it. Every time it shows up, surrender to it. You're each, each, it's a teacher for one, you know, grief is such a teacher that trust that it's teaching you something new. Don't think it like, you know, what people will do is also to themselves is, you know, I should be, I should be over this. I should be better. Or they'll, they'll be like, I'm still here as though they've made no forward movement as though they haven't evolved. It's not about that. It's a teacher that will always be with you. And the best you can do is say, I'm here. I'm listening. You know, it's the, um, when I was a kid, I was like obsessed with stories, you know, and my grandmother would have this collection of blue children's Bible stories. And one of the stories was, um, let me not mix up the saints in the Bible, but I believe, <laughs> I believe it was Samuel who, when he, he would, he was living with his teacher, a priest who would, and he kept waking up out of his sleep thinking the teacher was calling him. And the third time he heard someone call his name, the teacher said, next time say, yes, God, I'm listening. Mm-hmm. This is this is the teacher of grief. Every time it comes around, you say, yes, I'm listening. Immediately. Don't even put yourself through all the other stuff. I'm listening. This is true for not just grief, but all of the hard stuff. Anger, mm-hmm. resentment. You know, we don't like to talk with grief. Grief is bundled with what we consider, you know, what people like to consider the the darker emotions. Mm -hmm. They're not lesser. And I will be frank that no progress happens without these darker 
emotions. Yeah. It's where the change actually happens. Like it's, it happens in the dark. You know, I tell people all the time, you go to sleep and the, the, the rose has not bloomed. By the time you wake up, the rose is bloomed. The rose wasn't even there last night. What happened? You don't know. It's a mystery. It happened overnight. The, you know, babies are in the womb. We still can't like see in there. It's covered, right? It's veiled. Things that are veiled are because something is happening. Something mm -hmm. is churning. Something is being created. And there are, and there's aspects of spirituality in that grief process that the world shouldn't see, but should support because they're unique to you. They're your less, they're, they're your, that's your information. Everybody don't need to know what your process looks like and you don't have to explain it. It's veiled, but mm -hmm. what they should do is respect it, you know? And so when it comes up, no matter if it's, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down, I'm listening. Yeah. I'm here. And I'm listening immediately, immediately. I know you wouldn't show up for any other reason than evolution and forward movement. I know that now. I didn't know that in the beginning. I know that now because we're on round seven. <laughs> so by now I know. And, and I can look back at what you've taught me. And I can look back at the people that helped. I can look back at the good it did. I can look back at how it how it expanded beyond even my experience. And I, and now I can trust it, you know, as, as I go through it, you know, but I always think about that story when it comes knocking, like, yes, I'm listening immediately answer. And it's so funny. This really happened to me maybe two weeks ago, the se similar, right? I could not go to sleep for days in a row. It was like three or four days. So we're on the, the final day and I'm like, I was just tossing and turning like, up, oh, watch the TV. Do. Mm -hmm. And I was like, something in me was like, just be still mm -hmm. and listen. Mm -hmm. And I was still, I listened. Oh, and it was all of these. I got out my journal and I'm just writing, writing furiously. Mm -hmm. And after that, I've been able to sleep. At, That's so right. It's like becoming a student of your own body, a student yes, of it. your own lived experience. Like yes. your body is telling you, your surroundings is telling you, and we just have to be patient enough to listen. Yes. And what I tell people is they're not symptoms, they're signals, mm -hmm. right? Because it's all data. So even the, I like the idea, okay, I'm, I'm forgetting. I have my keys. I leave them in the car. So that's a signal. Slow down. Mm -hmm. This is taking up room. Whether you want it to or not, let it and slow down, right? If we think of it as a symptom or something's wrong with me, we're going to try to fix it. But yeah. if we try to fix it, one, it's not a thing to be fixed. So that's an, that's never going to happen. But And that's going to make us feel even more, you know, deficient. But really, if we think of it as a signal, we stop, pause, listen, and then we get the information and guess what happens? The thing goes away. It just wants to deliver the message. It's not here to cause, the, the, the suffering comes in not receiving the message and not accepting the message and not saying, thank you, I trust this, let me move forward. The resistance, which is natural, because one, again, we have not been conditioned, we've been conditioned to think that bad things only happen to bad people or because we did something wrong. Yeah. There are no bad things per se. There are just things, things that e evoke different emotions and experiences and gifts out of us. They're just things that some of those things feel amazing. Some of those things feel God awful. And that's just it. 
But we know that if it feels God awful, then it's not just because we're bad or mm -hmm. something's wrong with us. It's because it's here to evoke a specific unique thing that this, this, this happens so that we can have a certain experience and that experience for me, when it comes to those things that I'm resisting, always deepen my capacity to do the work that I came to this planet to do. Yes. No matter how horrific, when I'm on that floor in my lowest point, I've learned not to forsake it. I've learned just to say, I don't like this. This doesn't feel good, but I trust it because what always happens is it is it pushes me deeper into the work that I came to this planet to do. And my highest calling, my only reason for existing is to do what I came to this planet to do. So this must be a part of that, even in ways that I don't understand. But in the meantime, what it's demanding of me is my most vulnerable, transparent, like but to the bones, like to the beat me to the white meat, to the bones. It, it wants to strip me to the bones, right? Because in between those moments, in between the good stuff and, and, and the stuff we don't like, is mm -hmm. a whole bunch of life in. And in yeah. that life in, there's shit that we intentionally add to ourselves and there's shit that we unintentionally add to ourselves. There's shit that's put on us that we don't even know is put on us. And there's stuff that is like we did it because we, we put it on us and we forgot to take it off. All that got to go Yeah. when we get down to that stripped down part so that in the rebirth, all that goes forward with us is the love. All that we have left <laughs> is the love. Nothing else. The love that this person gave us, the, whether they knew how or didn't. Mm -hmm. We existed because of their yes. We existed because of them in some capacity and all it gets down to its most simplest form because it ain't simple in the beginning and it's simple. There's the label of whether they're a parent or a sibling or a child. And then there's the label of what's expected from that. And then there's the experiences. And then there's the memory. You got to get down to the core, two spirits, two souls who chose and said yes in agreement to be a part of each other's journey to love in whatever way they knew how as messy and fucked up sometimes as it is. And that's all you got left. And then you take that with you into the rebirth. That is not an easy process, but that is the process. <laughs> mm -hmm. That is the process. Whew. That was a lot, Thea. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is usually the part where Ebony Janice is like, wait, bitch. <laughs> what? I feel like we should go to a commercial break or something. I don't know. <laughs> And I, I haven't got to the point of having commercials yet. <laughs> but, we, but, but if we did, right now we would be where we would be like, Yogi T. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to call in a sponsor real quick. But that is all that um, I feel like I'm standing on now. It's like the love. It's the love that pushes you forward and further into transforming so at yes. first it was this thing that happened to me mm -hmm. now it's a thing that has happened for me mm -hmm. there is reasoning behind this mm -hmm. and I mean even just simple us having this conversation right now mm -hmm. I would not be having this conversation mm -hmm. uh, seeing you on the visuals here mm -hmm. without the thing that has propelled me to right. this place and that's the part that 
I know we don't talk about enough. Yeah. It's just the sadness wrapped around grief, but we don't talk about how it changes, has the capacity, if the you capacity. allow it, mm -hmm. to change your life, to change your existence, to change how you show up in the world and what you offer to the world. And what so that's it. You, like you said, it happened to me. Then I realized it's happening for me. And then I let it happen through me. Mm. And when, by the time we get to the through me, this love that you have with this one person has now become a love for the planet. Mm. Do you understand? It is like reconnected to its original source. It came from the world into this physical form in the love between the two of you. And now it is by you allowing it to go from the to me, to the for me, to the through me, it returns to the world as pure love. It is purified through that process. It is, this is your gift to the world. It is now happening through you. You have now not only become the vessel, but you've created an amplification for the vessel for that love through this podcast. I mean, this is it. This is why, this is what people need to know. It is not in vain. It is not happenstance. It is not, believe it or not, <laughs> It is trying to come back through you as a pure love <laughs> to return back to the world the way it came to you, which is pure, you know? A lot of stuff happens to that love through the journey, but it will leave you again pure and return back to the world in this way. And that's exactly what you're modeling for people through this podcast, which is such a fucking amazing thing to do, to allow yourself to go through this process Shiara, and then birth something back to the world more beautiful than how you got it. Thank you for that. Um, it's because I feel like my mom mm -hmm. loved me mm -hmm. in its purest sense. She taught me and showed me what love was. Mm -hmm. So to feel like this is love that she gave me that I'm now sharing to the world, it like, it leaves me really speechless because that's all I know she wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And that's all I want to do is mm -hmm. to show up in love mm -hmm. and connect people. Um, mm -hmm. huh. okay. And, you're, and you are, you just, you just do that process. You stop being just her daughter and you became a vessel through which she could continue that work. And your yes to that <laughs> is the most magnificent part of that grief process. Your yes to, I will sort of allow myself to break through this cocoon of mother, daughter to become something else, spirit and vessel, you know, love and the funnel for that love to be reshaped as something else that can allow her to continue to move through this world as love. It, all of it is, it is just divine. Yeah. It is holy. Because I sit in this space and I think about how much of my, of myself I have had to overcome just Absolutely. to like, 
sit right here because mm-hmm. Shiara <laughs> mm-hmm. left to her own devices. <laughs> left to her own devices. Okay. Like mm-hmm. it's just something has come over me to, that is right. driving me that is saying, mm-hmm. okay, and do this and now do this and now do this that I feel like doesn't have anything to do with me. And now that I say that it, it makes me think about when I first started doing spoken word, like I used to write these poems I don't know. People are like, oh, what inspired you to? I don't know. And I felt like it had nothing to do with yeah, me. Yeah. At all. And people would come up to me <sighs> crying or having mm-hmm. these Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, what's and going I'll, on with you? I'll say this as a mother. There are certain things, there are certain lessons, there are certain levels that I want my children to reach that. I will not be able to mother them into until after I have transitioned this plane. Mm-hmm. I won't. I will have to die. I will have to go to a spiritual form to get them there. I'm not going to stop mothering them, yeah. but that next level of my mothering will require that I first surrender this skin and return to something that can then be the thing that moves through my children. It's one, like, it's like, let me tell you what it's like. It's going to sound real basic, but it is. My kids can cook for themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that's a fact. Now I'm a black mama. My kids can cook for themselves. <laughs> Why when I'm home, they act like they can't cook for themselves. But when I'm not home, they figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, right? As long as I'm accessible in this form, there are some things that I've planted in my children that they will not feel the need to activate because I'm here and mommy will do it. And they know that. But there are, but I've planted the seeds. They're there. I cannot pollinate. And I cannot get them to activate those seeds until I am not here. And then you're finding these like Easter eggs. (laughs) You're finding these hidden gems, these buried treasures deep in the muck of your grief. Mm -hmm. You're finding them in yourself. But there was no way you would have even known that thing was there if mommy was home. You understand? Absolutely. I know that. I know that. And I have to sit with that as a mom, that that I, I want to see it in this form. I want to mm-hmm. see my babies do these things. I will have to see it from the other angle. I will have to see it from a different perspective. But it will happen. And actually, my, my leaving is the activating force behind it happening. Because they're not going to do it if I'm here. <laughs> I'm too comfortable. I'm yep. too cozy. I'm too nurturing. And that is my nature. And that's what's going to happen. I I cannot create that kind of discomfort for my children. It is against my nature. I cannot create that kind of, you know, violence, that kind of, you know, dissonance for my children. It's against my nature. It will require my absence, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's, but they're still mothering. That'll be happening. And like like what we just discussed, this 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 new form that you're able to take on is such a beautiful example of that. I think. 
Thank you. Thank you. Whew. I'm sorry. But I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. I shouldn't have said I was sorry. I really don't mean that. <laughs> what do I want to say? Take care of yourself. Be gentle. You yes. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely, you know, what I am still learning mm-hmm. is how to be gentle with myself, mm-hmm. how to um, also show up in this world now um, without, you know, the, when it comes to like being an artist, my mom was the first person. If I wrote mm-hmm. something, she was like the first dial to hear it, mm-hmm. yes. the first yes. audience. So I really went through these a couple years of if she ain't here, ain't nobody else impressed. Like, what right, am I doing? Right, right, right. Now I've had to reshift that energy. Mm-hmm. And it's just not about impressing my mom. It mm-hmm. is almost like channeling the love and the energy that she has given me to do something different and to be bold in. I have, I feel like I have a boldness now that mm-hmm. I didn't have before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I'm grateful for it. I think it's a very a very beautiful part of this whole process. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's what I want people to know. At some point, there is beauty again, inevitably, mm-hmm. inevitably, because mm-hmm. that's the cycle. There, it, the cycle. If you know the cycle, just remember the cycle: life, death, rebirth. Mm-hmm. Life, death, rebirth. You cannot change the cycle, but you can participate, you can flow with, you can influence, you can shape, but you cannot change it. You cannot make it not a cycle. Mm-hmm. But the, the good thing about that is, you know, inevitably, just like we know there'll be night, we know there'll be day, it's inevitable. Um, the, the, the key, is, the, the challenge is we don't know how long the night will be. Yeah but we know there will be day. I guess my next question to you is how do we as community, as family, as friends, like how do we show up mm-hmm. for others who are on this journey um, and not, you know, in the way that, because we all don't know what to do. And mm-hmm. I feel like we get Ricky Bobby hands. Like, I don't know. Oh, yes. Yeah. Ricky Bobby hands. <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands. That's so true. And part of it is somebody else got it. Somebody else, you know, and in that thought process, people do feel alone and they do feel yeah. isolated. Absolutely. So what are and some they begin to hide their mm-hmm. true experience. Mm-hmm. One, I will, I want people who are supporting those who are grieving to know that um you can't do it much right you you have to surrender to this too <laughs> not just the person directly impacted but you have to surrender to the fact that this is unknown this will be ongoing This is something that reshapes them. You will have to relearn them. You will have to give them room to relearn themselves. And unless they are really at a point where they are causing themselves serious harm, you know, you have to learn how to be a good witness. Mm -hmm. 
The reason that's important, one of the most important things is, like you were saying, the person in it, they're not keeping time. They're not, they're not even tracking. It's, in, it's They can't. So some of the things they can't track are, you know, the fact that they're moving forward, even if it doesn't feel that way. Some of the things that they're, they may not be tracking is that they, they are doing more than they think they're doing just by breathing, just by surviving, just by putting one foot in front of the other. Some of the things that they're not tracking is that they're not causing any problems by being in the state that they're in. Those are hard to track because time changes during grief. You, Everything is, it's like, again, like a baby, like brand new. Mm-hmm. And we think about babies coming in and we think, oh, they're so cute. It's actually very traumatic. Mm-hmm. They were in a very comfortable place where all their needs were met. And then suddenly they got feelings. They got, they, they, it's cold and then it's hot mm-hmm. and then they got to pee and they don't know what that is. It's disorienting. And so you can help orient them, not by telling them how to feel or what to do, but just by showing up and occasionally holding a mirror up and saying, and all of this is okay. Yeah. You though have the challenge as a person supporting them of sitting in your own body, (laughs) sit in your body. If you feel you cannot show up without projecting your own anxiety or needs, then you shouldn't show up in that capacity. Write something, send something, but don't physically enter that person's zone or presence until you have your own body in check. (laughs) If you're also grieving that person, make sure that you are having your own process, respecting your own process, and not conflating your process with someone else's process. There's a lot of embodiment required to be in support to somebody who's grieving. There's also a lot of spiritual grounding because it is not about you. And you also don't feel bad if you need to step away for a moment because you are feeling in your body about, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I don't hope they're okay. I don't know, you know, all that. Don't feel bad if you need to step away to feel that, but don't bring that into the presence. Into the presence, you just want to bring the witnessing, the it's okay. You know, ask them, how can I help? How can I bring any form of comfort? Any form of comfort. Just tell me what it is. Because sometimes people need simple things. Yeah. We, I mean, we can't, change the circumstance, but they may say, I need a whole pizza and I need you to get your own because you can't eat none of this with me. (laughs) Bet I got you. I need to, um, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to go back to this job. Cool. Let's, let's, what would it look like to not go back to this job? Whatever. You know, it's very similar to like, sometimes I have clients who their family members have schizophrenia. They may have something that uh, involves psychosis, not dangerous per se, but otherworldly. Um, and often they spend all their time trying to convince this person that the reality that they see is not real. That's harmful. Join the reality. Let's play it out from their perspective. You know, what does this look like for you? For you? Like, what color is it? What temperature is it? Like, what texture does it hold today? I mean, anything that allows you to step into where they're coming from as opposed to you giving them your view. They don't need your view of it. And they also just can't hold it. 
you need to step into either their view or you need to stay in your body and just say, how can I help? What do you need? I have a friend that's grieving. They have not checked that I, every now and then I'll just say, I'm here for anything. They don't respond often, but mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't need them to. My job is, I don't need the validation of responding to my, I'm just, I just, whenever they cross my mind, I feel like it's my responsibility to say, hey, there's somebody over here who can hold some stuff. I have bandwidth, you know, bring it on, you know? And that's what I do. Now, whether they ever take it up, take me up on it, I trust their process. I trust their soul. I trust your spirit. I trust the spirits of those who are guiding them. And sometimes you say that prayer. This person is a whole person with a whole set of ancestors, a whole set of spiritual guides. I trust and believe and I join with all of those forces that this person will get through the other side of this and they will begin to, you know, transmute and transform and work with this and walk with this. And sometimes I have to stand in myself and do that as opposed to, you know, pitying, which is not good. You know, that Mm -hmm. is about you. That is not about them. They don't need that. (laughs) They need you to be the strong one and stay in your body so that they don't have to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's challenging, but it's not as challenging as the, what the grieving person is going through. So, you know, yeah, (laughs) I was going to ask you, what do you think, what is it inside of us that makes us not be able to, but I'm sure it's from so many different perspectives. Yeah, we're not um, we're not taught it, you know, yeah. like we're just literally part of colonization and part of why it works is, is mythology that that way is the right way because it alleviates anything uncomfortable or challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, that if you're doing it the right way, if you're doing capitalism the right way, if you're following the the, the white co- uh, colonial way of doing things, you shouldn't have you shouldn't have any suffering. And if you do, it's because of something that you did. Right. Mm-hmm. That is colonialism. And so they don't talk about death. They don't teach about it. They took us away from nature where we could observe it regularly. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so, you know, we're not prepared. None of us. We're just ill prepared. Um, we don't know the rituals. We don't have the language. We don't have the emotional bandwidth because we're all so stripped of um, attention and intention in a capitalist society that we just feel like we don't have the time. We all move on this sense of urgency and this fear of being left behind or this fear of falling behind. It's just it's just a toxic society towards grief. What are some perhaps like beginner friendly steps that we could take to just begin to reconnect um, Mm. with our nature, with ourselves and with others. Um, Particularly around grief, I would say spending time with nature is always super helpful because Mm -hmm. it's almost impossible to go out in nature and not see some form of it, right? Like, you know, you see a bug got squished. Do you see a plant, you know, that's not doing well, you know, And you, you know, take a moment to think about how does nature respond to that? And what does that process look like if you follow it through full circle? That something, you know, goes back to its source and then returns in a new way, right? It's And so nature is such a a helpful way to do that. I think also recognizing when you feel grief outside of death, 
is a start, mm-hmm. right? If you want, if you're looking forward to something and it doesn't happen, that's not just disappointment. Sometimes it's a little bit of grief because you had dreamed up an idea of something happening a certain kind of way. And now you're grieving that idea. We don't pause to let grief be a part of even our daily life, but it yeah. is, you know, we, <clears throat> we, when we have something that we love or we like, and then we lose it, you know, my daughter, it's this very simplified version of this, but my daughter had um, this, I, I've told the story before, but she had, we were in New York and she bought herself this card. It was her, her birthday and she wanted to like draw herself a p- picture inside the card. And in our rush to get out, we left it at the hotel <clears throat> on the way to the airport. We stopped to get something to eat and she realizes that she forgot it. And she's like, oh, I'm so sad. I I left my card. I was really looking forward to drawing it. And I was like, oh, don't be sad. Immediately. Don't mm-hmm. be sad. Colonizing, right? Because I didn't want her to be sad. Yeah. So don't be sad. We'll get you another one, right? That was my immediate colonized, not mm-hmm. thought through response. And my daughter goes, but I'm sad right now. Yes. And I loved that. Because I said, you're right. Okay, let's be sad right now. We don't allow ourselves to feel all of our feelings because we don't, we say we don't have the time learning to like not bypass when you feel like, oh, wait a minute, you know, and letting that be, letting that be the final answer. So like I had a conversation with someone very close to me yesterday. They were, they did something that bothered me and it did something in my body. Like I could feel it run through my body. And of course, then my mind was like, well, you know, is that your ego? Is that this? Like my mind started interjecting all these other thoughts. My body was very clear. Something about this ain't right. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when they brought it up later, they were like, you didn't like that. And I was like, no, I didn't. And I don't have to tell you a million reasons why. I just trust my body when it says that something about that is not good for me or not good for us. And I don't like it. And I, I, I don't have all the language for why I don't feel the need to, I trust, I trust that. And I've learned to do that more, right. As we'll say it's again, part of being a capitalist colonized white supremacist country is everything bad is your fault. Everything you feel that's uncomfortable is your fault. And so what then traditional white mental health says is let's analyze all that when mm-hmm. really your body is telling you, yes, that is not good. And then yes. you feel like you have to be able to communicate more than some. I don't like that. You mm-hmm. don't, I don't like that. And, and the person who loves you, that is satisfactory. And when you have language and you feel like you want to explore that more, you can, but not for the sake of, being understood, you should be accepted for what you said. Not sometimes acceptance is not the same as understanding. I don't, I can't understand everything. I will not, but I can accept that that is your understanding and your experience. And then, and that, that means I don't want you to feel that way. That feeling you had in your body. Oh, I don't like that either. Then we got to think of something else. Right. Mm -hmm learning to let that be enough and not just bypass it or then go into the the white mind and analyze it is important because it'll keep you from 
talking yourself out of opportunities to experience these small deaths, these small griefs, these small losses, these small things that help you to when the big ones come, it is you're not a stranger to that feeling, even yeah. if it's on a smaller level, and you honor it right away. You say, I'm here and I'm listening. As opposed to having to go through all the other steps that we have to go through because we have not conditioned ourselves to pause and listen to that in our bodies. I feel like we've covered all the little pre-questions I had written down. I know definitely I am emotionally full. Oh. Thank you so much, Thea. Um, for just who you are, for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge with all of us. Um, where can the people find you? <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> Anything under my name, like my website is my name, my Instagram is my name. Um, and then you could just tap in and see what I'm doing that interests you that you feel in your in your throat, in your heart, in your gut, in your feet, wherever you feel it. Um, we're always we're always excited about people who feel it in their body to work with anything yeah. that we're doing. Um, but yeah, everything's under Thea Monier, and you'll see all the things that I'm always doing <laughs> there. It's kind yeah. of hard to explain it all, but it's all there. That's what I was telling you uh, at the beginning of this. I tried to look at your bio and it's just so extensive. <laughs> and it's all like the we're not doing all of that. <laughs> Thea is, Thea likes to change, work with change, work with joy, work with rebirth, work with death and rebirth in life. And I just, my, my fascination is to see people in the fullness of who they actually are, um, I'm just fascinated by it. I, I, I'm so excited to get that peek at people in their rebirth once they come back to themselves through all this muck. Um, so that's what, that's my joy. <laughs> and that's why I do it, you know. So, but thank you so much for, um, you know, trusting me and Oya and my ancestors to be a part of this really tender and very important, uh, critical, particularly with the, direction our country's headed. We we need this information. We need this data. We need it to be awakened in us. And we need to know that we're not new to this, but we have to awaken the tools and the resources and the rituals that we have ancestrally and spiritually in order to be able to navigate it because our whole country is in a death. Yeah. And, and if we don't recognize that, we're not shaping the rebirth. Um, so Thank you so much, so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure to have <laughs> you on. And um, yeah, that'll be it for Take Your Time with Sarah. <laughs> and Thea. <laughs> and Thea today, yes. Yes. <laughs>